The English Language by Logan Pearsall Smith, Chapter Two, Part One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Foreign Elements. If the Norman Conquest had but an indirect influence on the development of English grammar, on the other part of the language, the vocabulary, its effect was so great as almost to transform the character of our speech. Old English contained but a small proportion of borrowed words, but when it ceased to be a literary language, and almost all its learned compounds perished, their place was gradually taken by words borrowed from the French speech of the Norman invaders. The character of the words now borrowed, the objects and ideas they denoted, are full of significance for our early history, and they will be treated from this point of view in a later chapter. We are now concerned, however, for the present, more with their formal aspect, their shapes, the sources whence they were derived, and the transformations they had undergone before they reached us. The conquest of England by the Normans was the third invasion of this island by a Teutonic race from countries across the German Sea, for the Normans were closely related both to the Anglo-Saxons and to their subsequent Danish conquerors, and originally they spoke a language allied to the Anglo-Saxon, but they had travelled far and acquired much since they left their remote Scandinavian birthplace. For a hundred and fifty years before they came to England, they had been settled in Normandy, where they had lost almost all memory of their original speech, and had adopted a new religion, new system of law and society, new thoughts, and new manners. They therefore came practically as Frenchmen to their English and Danish cousins, and it was the speech of France the civilization of France that they brought with them. But the speech of France was a very different language from modern French as we know it. Indeed, there was not at this time any recognized and classical French, but only a number of dialects, among which that of Normandy was the one which was first introduced into England. These French dialects were descended from the popular and colloquial Latin, once common in most of the Roman provinces, but which underwent diverse changes in various regions, changes which have produced the various related forms of speech, French, Italian, Spanish, Portuguese, etc., which are united under the common name of Romance languages. These Latin words suffered many transformations in becoming French, Many of the consonants and vowels were so changed, and the words were so shortened and clipped by the omission of unaccented syllables, that their connection with their Latin ancestors is often not very apparent. As later in the history of English, many of these words came to the language in forms more nearly approaching their Latin originals, we can see by comparing them with those adopted from the French, after they had undergone the process of phonetic decay, how greatly they had been changed in that process. Thus, compute and count 
both descend from the Latin computare, secure and sure, blasphemes and blame, dominion and dungeon, dignity and dainty, cadence and chance, are others among these doublets, as they are called, in which the longer form of the word in each case is more directly from the Latin, while the shorter has suffered a French transformation. But the French language has undergone considerable and more recent changes since the date when the Normans brought it to England. Some words that we borrowed have become obsolete in their native country, some consonants have been dropped, and the sound of others has been changed. We retain, for instance, the S that the French have lost in many words like beast and feast, which are bet and fet in modern French. So too the sound of CH has become SH in France. But in our words of early borrowing, chamber, charity, etc., we keep the old pronunciation. We keep, moreover, in many cases, forms peculiar to the Norman dialect, as caitiff, canker, carrion, etc., in which the C before A did not become CH, as it did in the Parisian dialect. Cark and charge are both from the same Latin word, caricare, but one is the Norman and the other the Parisian form of the word. In many cases, the G of Norman French was changed to J in the central dialects, and our word jail, G-A-O-L, has preserved its northern spelling, while it is pronounced and sometimes written with the J of Parisian French. When, in the year 1204, Normandy was lost to the English crown, and the English Normans were separated from their relatives on the continent, their French speech began to change, as all forms of speech must change, and developed into a dialect of its own with some peculiar forms and many words borrowed from the English. This was at first the language of the court and law in England. It was taught in the schools and written in legal enactments, and continued to be used by lawyers for more than three hundred years. Indeed, in the form of what is called law French, it continued in use down to quite recent times. An attempt was indeed made in the fourteenth century to replace French by English in the law courts, but the lawyers went on thinking and writing in French and developed, little by little, a queer jargon of their own, which continued to use down to the end of the 17th century. From this dialect or technical law jargon, many words were adopted into English, not only strictly legal terms like jury, larceny, lease, perjury, etc., but other words which have gained a more popular use as assets, embezzle, disclaim, distress, hue and cry, hodgepodge, improve. One of the most curious of these is the word culprit, which is a contraction of the legal phrase 
culpable pressed, meaning he is guilty and we are ready to prove it. It was then from this Anglo or Norman French that the earliest of our French words were derived, and the greater part of those borrowed before 1350 were probably from this source. In the meantime, moreover, the central or Parisian French dialect, having become the language of the French court of French literature, began to be fashionable in England, and many words were adopted from it into English. And it is by no means always easy to distinguish between the sources of French words, whether they came to us from Anglo or Parisian French. In many cases the forms are the same, but as a rule the early and popular words may be put down to Anglo-French, and the later adoptions and the learned words to borrowings from the literary language of Paris. In addition to these two classes, the first borrowings from Anglo-French and the later ones from the Parisian French, we have in English a third class of words borrowed from the French in more recent times. Speaking in general terms, we may say that down to about 1650, the French words that were borrowed were thoroughly naturalised in English and were made sooner or later to conform to the rules of English pronunciation and accent. While in the later borrowings, unless they have become very popular, an attempt is made to pronounce them in the French fashion. The tendency in English is to put the accent on the first syllable, and this has affected the words of older adoption, but in words more recently borrowed, like Grimace, Bazaar, etc., we throw the accent forward to imitate as nearly as we can the French accent. Words have sometimes been borrowed twice as gentle and genteel, dragon and dragoon, gallant and gallant, and the older can easily be distinguished from the latter by the position of the accent. If words like baron, button, mutton had been recent, and not old borrowings, we should have pronounced them baroon, batoon, matoon, as we pronounce buffoon, cartoon, and balloon, and many others derived from the French words ending in on. In these modern borrowings, moreover, we preserve as much as we can the modern pronunciation of the French consonants, as we can see in the soft ch of chandelier and chaperone as compared with the older chandler and chapel and the soft g in massage mirage prestige while the older sound is kept in message and cabbage there are no words in english so unfixed and fluctuating as these late borrowings from the french where there is often no standard by which we can decide how we are to speak them. Some, like envelope and avalanche, have two pronunciations, one English and one as nearly French as possible, and one word, vase, V-A-S-E, is spoken in at least three ways. And as so often in the case of language, we find two tendencies at work, 
one following the old rule to pronounce the words as English words, to give the vowels and consonants their English sounds, and to throw back the accent, this affects words which have become popular and familiar and are in common use, like glacier and valet. The other tendency which seems to be growing stronger in recent years is to keep as much as possible the foreign sounds and accent, as in promenade, croquet, tray, T-R-A-I-T, mirage, prestige, rouge, ballet, debris, nuance. This tendency, due perhaps to the wider study of French, has had a curious effect in changing the pronunciation and spelling of a number of old established and long naturalised words. Thus biscuit, which in the form of B-I-S-K-E-T is found as an old English word, has recently put on a French costume, although its pronunciation has not yet been changed, and blue has been altered from the older B-L-E-W, owing to French influence. Several old words have had their accent changed by the same cause. Police is an old word in English, and still retains its English accent like malice in parts of Ireland and Scotland. And our old word marine has had its pronunciation changed owing to the influence of the French marine. Even a word like invalid of Latin origin has, when used as a noun, thrown its accent forward to correspond to the French embellide. This tendency to give a foreign character to old established words is a curious manifestation of that capricious force called the genius of the language. When a word has what we may call a French or foreign meaning, as in rouge or ballet, a foreign pronunciation or an attempt at it may perhaps make it more expressive, but there is surely no reason why such words as tray, T-R-A-I-T, and vase should not be pronounced after the English fashion. And we might well be spared the discomfort and embarrassment of our attempts to keep the nasal sound of the French N in words like encore, ennui, nonchalant, and nuance. As we have seen, the main additions to the English language, additions so great as to change its character in a fundamental way, were from the French. First of all, from the northern French of the Norman conquerors, and then from the literary and learned speech of Paris. But the French language, as we have also seen, is mainly based on Latin. Not on the Latin of classical literature, but the popular spoken language, the speech of the soldiers and uneducated people. And the Latin words were so clipped, changed and deformed by them, not however capriciously, but in accordance with certain definite laws, that they were often at first unrecognisable. From early times, however, a large number of Latin words were taken into French and thence into English from literary Latin. And as they were never used in popular speech, they did not undergo this process of popular transformation. And when we speak of learned words adopted from the Latin, 
we must not suppose that the scholars and literary men of that time borrowed as we should now borrow from the classical latin studied in our schools the language of the great orators and poets of rome the latin from which they borrowed was not a dead but a living language a language which they spoke and wrote and which although it was descended from the classical latin and preserved many of its forms yet differed from it in many ways and was regarded as barbarous by the scholars of the renaissance it was the speech of a small minority of a few thousand learned men almost all in religious orders an aristocracy intellectual and cosmopolitan who preserved in the dark ages something of the literary tradition of classical times and made to it important contributions of their own it was a universal language for the scholars of all europe and even in england men from different districts could converse in it better than in their local and often mutually unintelligible dialects it disappeared at last in the sixteenth century owing to the efforts of the humanists and ciceronians to restore the classical language of rome but not before it had had an immense effect on modern french and english by far the greater part of the learned latin words adopted into french and from french into english from the ninth to the fourteenth century are derived from this low latin many of them of course are classical in form but many especially the abstract words have been formed by the addition of terminations in the medieval latin in the fourteenth century however when the first effects of the classical renaissance began to make themselves felt words began to be borrowed into french direct from classical latin this process went on with increased rapidity in the fifteenth century and towards its end and at the beginning of the sixteenth century almost a new language formed on classical models was created in france with the importation therefore of the french vocabulary into english many of the learned words borrowed first from late and then from classical latin were adopted into our language but in england also latin was spoken by the clergy and learned men of the country the bible and the service books were in latin the historical and devotional books were largely written in it when these latin books were translated into english or when a scholar writing in english wished to use a latin word he followed the analogy of the latin words that had already come to us through the french and altered them as if they had first been adopted into french it is often therefore difficult to say whether a latin word has come to us through the french or has been taken immediately from the latin a curious tendency due not so much to the genius of the language as to the self-conscious action of learned people has affected the form of latin words both in english and french but more drastically perhaps on this side of the channel from early times a feeling has existed that the popular forms of words were incorrect and attempts more or less capricious and often wrong have been made to change back the words to shapes more in accordance with their original spelling 
Thus the H was added to words like humble, honour, abbot, etc. B was inserted into debt to show its derivation from the Latin debitum and L in fault as a proof of its relation to the Latin fallere and P found its way into receipt as a token of the Latin receptum. These pedantic forms were either borrowed direct into English from the French or in many old words the change was made by English scholars and in some words as for instance debt and fault their editions have remained in English while in French the words have reverted to their old spelling. These changes as in honour, debt, receipt do not always affect the pronunciation, but in many words, as vault, fault, assault, the letters pedantically inserted have come gradually to be pronounced. Vault rhymed with thought in the 18th century, and only in the 19th century has H come to be pronounced in humble and hospital, more inexcusable are the many errors introduced into English spelling by this old pedantry. And among our words which have been deformed by this learned ignorance may be mentioned advance and advantage, properly advance and advantage, and scent, S-C-E-N-T, and scissors, which should have been spelt S-E-N-T and S-I-S-S-O-R-S. The borrowing of words direct from the Latin, which began first in prehistoric times, continued in the Anglo-Saxon period and only attained large proportions in the 14th and 15th centuries. But it has continued uninterruptedly ever since, until perhaps one-fourth of the Latin vocabulary has been transplanted, either directly or through the French into the English language. While most of these words are reformed in English according to definite usage, nouns being taken from the stem of the accusative and verbs from that of the past participle, there is really no absolute rule save that of convenience about the matter. The nominative form appears in terminus, bonus, stimulus, etc., the ablative in folio, the gerund in memorandum and innuendo different parts of the verb as in veto and affidavit. Recipe is the imperative directing the apothecary to take certain drugs and dirge is from another imperative, the dirige domine of Psalm 5 verse 8 used as an antiphon in the service for the dead. As French was full of learned Latin words, so Latin in its turn abounded in expressions borrowed from the Greek, and thus Greek words were, through the Latin, adopted into French and English, with one or two very early exceptions to be mentioned later. All the Greek words found in English before the 16th century are derived from Latin sources and are spelt and pronounced not as they were in Greek, but as the Romans spelt and pronounced them. The Greek U became a Y in Latin, 
and the K a C. When, after the Roman time, C lost the sound of K before E, I and Y, the pronunciation of many Greek words was changed, and we get a word like the modern cycle, which is very unlike the Greek kouklos. Other Greek words have been early adopted into the popular vocabulary and have undergone the strange transformations that popular words undergo. Learned names for diseases and flowers are peculiarly liable to be affected by this process. Thus, dropsy stands for the Greek hydropsis, palsy for paralysis, emerald for the Greek smaragdos, Athanasia has become tansy, and carophyllon, gilly flower in English. This process still goes on whenever a Greek word comes into common and popular use. Pediment is believed to be a working man's corruption through pediment of pyramid. Banjo has come to us through the pronunciation of Negro slaves from the Spanish banduria, which is ultimately derived from the Greek pandura. And we are now witnessing the struggle of the genius of the language with the popular but somewhat indigestible word cinematograph. By the middle of the 16th century, Greek was so well known in England that scholars began to borrow from it directly without the intervention of French and Latin. These were all learned adoptions, and they were for the most part conducted in an absurdly learned way. These old scholars took a pedantic pride in adorning their pages with actual Greek letters, and thus words like acme, apotheosis, and many others are in 16th and 17th century books often printed in Greek type. Very lately in the 19th century, a tendency has shown itself to adopt words not with the Latin, but with the original Greek spelling as nearly as we can reproduce it, and now with our modern passion for correctness and the modern weakening of the traditions of the language, words, especially scientific terms, tend to keep their Greek appearance, as we see in words like kinetics, K-I-N-E-T-I-C-S, which would have become synetics, C-I-N-E-T-I-C-S, had it been borrowed earlier. End of chapter 2, part 1.